He comes to reconcile, to heal, and to deliver. God, would you look upon the needs of every man and woman in this room, for there are many. Thank you for blessing. Thank you for providing. Thank you for peace of mind. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. I don't want the worship team to go too far. I just sense some things happening on this Sunday morning. And I said this past Thursday and even last Sunday that I knew that today would be a, a game changer. Today is a very important day for the people of God. And I just believe you're at the right place at the right time for the right moment. Amen. The Bible reads in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Then the Lord, verse 12, 2 Chronicles 7 and 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or when I command the locusts to devour the land, or when I send the pestilent among my people, uh, verse 14, but if my people who are called by my name, if they'd humble themselves, if they pray, if they seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, come on everyone, say then. The Bible says, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal the land. Let's read that last verse again, verse 14. Uh, if my people who are called by my name, number one, if they'd humble themselves, number two, if they pray, Number three, if they seek my face. And then number four, if they would turn from their wicked ways. Yes. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal the land. I will heal the land. It won't be long this morning. But the Bible says I will heal the land. I want to talk and I want to introduce just in your hearing for the next couple of weeks experiencing the winds of revival experiencing the wind it may not make sense just yet but experiencing the winds of revival one more time experiencing the winds of revival i want you to take the seats if you can just for the next few moments experiencing the winds of revival when i listen to this worship team when I hear these musicians so skillfully play, the mass choir when they minister throughout the month, when I feel and sense the expression of worship, the liberty, even our young people, I believe with all my heart, University City Church, and I'll need you to walk by faith these next few moments and to crystal clarity see that maybe God is doing something a whole lot bigger than what our media, what our nation, what our community, or even what our church tends to think or see. I know this is a long shot, because we're in this moment 
But over the last 2,000 years of Christendom, there have been sparks and early sprinkles of revival. Some have gone viral in full circle. Some stayed at certain levels and dimensions. I can't help but choose to believe, both in the good and in the bad, that on the other side of some of the challenges and changes and transitions, that just maybe God is doing something that no one could have saw coming. And maybe it's bigger than the local church. Maybe it's bigger than the geographical area. And maybe it's something that our whole country and maybe the whole world at that matter is experiencing. I believe that there are tremors, the early onset, and maybe just maybe birthing pains of that which is to come. Uh, this morning, we look at our nation's evolving challenges and changes. There have been some good changes in our country, and there have been some bad changes in our country. From the White House, the governor's mansion, the mayor's office, to the town of Huntersville. I believe that we are seeing, in fact, this is an oxymoron, but, but we're seeing an unseen, unparalleled, and unprecedented times. But be as it may, make no mistake about it, there's nothing that surprises God. There's nothing that surprises God. There'll be nothing that catches our Father in heaven off guard. I want to talk this morning about experiencing the winds of revival. That may not be catchy, may not be attractive, may not make social media trends, but I believe two words. Number one, I believe in an experience. And it's very hard to explain experience. You've gone to an encounter retreat. You've had a moment with God at the altar. Maybe you've experienced a very, very powerful moment in your prayer closet. It's really hard to explain an experience. And I really believe that in the days, weeks, months to come, the Lord delay is coming, the years to come. What will be said about University City Church is that there is an experience that we really can't explain. You'll just have to go on Sundays. You'll have to come out on Tuesday nights. You'll have to show up on Thursdays. You'll have to go to the conference, the concert, the revival, the shut-in, the counter-retreats, whatever we've got going on. It's going to be kind of hard to narrate and to articulate. It's an experience. And that's something you'll hear time and time again. Number two, what about revival? Today I want to talk a little bit about revival. I want to talk to about revival. And, and, and I don't know if I can even properly close my prayer time with the Lord out without asking for revival in the church. I'm not asking for three-night consecutive meetings, but I'm talking about a move of God, something that very few of us, I think, in my opinion, in this room, we've ever seen. We've seen conferences. We've seen some great conventions. And we've watched a lot of TV and radio and social media, and we've heard about, and we might have read historically about revival. But I'm not quite sure if we have experienced what I believe the Bible calls and describes as revival. I said it before and I'll say it again. I believe personally that we are witnessing the early tremors, perhaps even the birthing pains in the early onset of a great spiritual awakening, a great spiritual awakening. As I shared with our new members yesterday and those that are coming aboard UCC, and I'm sure it was said also in the 201 class today, may University City Church be a church of spiritual development. May we be known as a church, not just of experience on Sunday mornings, but may we understand the importance and the value of matriculating, of growing, of maturity. 
spiritual, excuse me, spiritual discipleship and spirit-filled development. Now remember the quote from last Sunday. If you all remember this quote from last Sunday, uh, the goal here is that we all grow up spiritually. Remember the quote last week? Uh, growing old is non-negotiable, but growing up is optional. Growing old, hey, it's going to happen regardless. But you do have an option whether you grow up in the faith, grow up in your spiritual walk with God. Uh, you saw the, the video and you saw some of the, the, uh, the, the, the pictures from this past Thursday. I'll be the first to admit, and forgive me for my lack of faith, I had no idea we'd see that type of response at noon this past Thursday. I want you to give yourselves a round of applause. What a great Bible study we had this past Thursday at the University City Church. We realized some people work second shift, third shift, some folk can't make Thursday night services, but you know what? They proved to me and the entire church that we're hungry for the word, we're excited about Bible study, and so every Thursday at 12 noon, and guess what? We were out in one hour. At 12.59, we were on our feet, and going back to our busy, busy day. I want to invite all of you all. I want to encourage you. Join us in the cafe every Thursday at high noon for a very comprehensive and thorough Bible study, pastoral teaching. You really have nothing second or what experiences on Sunday, excuse me, on Thursday nights. Uh, if you can't get up to Huntersville from South Charlotte or East Charlotte, what have you, you can always join us online. At the same time, don't forget Thursday night. We still have family worship night. The goal of Thursday night is that mom, dad, and the kids can worship together, pray together, have Bible study together. Uh, as much as I'm excited, Elder McLean, about to, uh, Thursday noon, which was a great success, great launch, by the way. Elder Redmond, I'm always excited about Thursday night Bible study, great success, as always. I got to talk to you all about Tuesday nights. Now, uh, uh, do you all know anything about Tuesday nights? Come on, be honest with me. Do you all know anything about Tuesday nights? Well, you, you can't because we ain't started yet. I know you've heard me talk about it. But, but, but listen, 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 listen. I'm going to get this advertisement out the way, then we're going to teach the word, all right? Um, help me out here. Help me out. Would you agree that we experience some really highs and some great times on Sundays at UCC? Would you, would you agree? Would you, just five of y'all? Anybody else? I mean, you, you really feel like, man, I had church, the Lord moved on my Bible. Man, God. But would you also agree it's a long time between Sundays and Thursday evenings? Life gets in the way. We go back to parenting and, and, and dropping off and picking up and bills and, and, and jobs and stress and anxiety and issues. And, man, that high we had on Sundays, we're back on E again by Thursdays. You can't wait to follow Sunday come, right? Uh, in the name of momentum and revival, the Lord's been dealing with my heart the last couple of months about Tuesday nights. Now, you may not show up on Tuesday nights, but someone in this community needs GED classes, English as a second language, divorce care drug and alcohol. Those are our community classes that we'll be offering soon. Someone needs school of ministry, welcome to the city, living in the city, soaring in the city. You want an option where, you know, six, seven, eight weeks, you can matriculate your, your new members, new believers classes. Someone needs leadership classes. You want to go deeper and, and more involved and passionate in your Bible study. So we'll offer uh, Christian ed classes, whether it's prayer, Bible study, or, or theology, or faith, or whatever those subject matters are. So the goal is that on Tuesday nights, and, and I'm really shooting 
for the month of March. I'm really hoping and praying our strategy team, we can get together and hustle, make this happen. We want this church to be open literally almost seven days a week. Now, you may not show up seven days a week, but we want the house of God to be open for this community and for the world. And for those who can't get here, we'll be streaming online. We believe that revival requires Desperate measures and desperate times require desperate measures. And the goal, you know, the Bible says that and the Lord added to the church when daily, daily, those that were being saved. You know, the Bible says, uh, Pastor Sarah, what was that scripture we quoted, Acts chapter 2, that they, they broke bread from house to house and met in the temple daily. Now, in the book of Acts, now, you all still want to go to heaven, right? You still love Jesus, right? You still love the church, right? Now, in the book of Acts, they went to church every day. Uh, read the Bible, chapter 2. They met daily in the temple. Y'all don't want to read now, see. <laughs> they met daily in the temple. And they had house church. House topple is the German word for house church. They had small groups. Now, I understand at that time nobody had jobs. Someone had said Jesus is soon to return. So they quit all of their corporate jobs. They quit all of their educational jobs. Nobody went to school. And all they did was have church basically seven days a week because they thought Jesus was coming back any day now. And then Peter says, wait a minute, I need to get this revelation. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Maybe when he said he's coming back tomorrow, maybe tomorrow ain't the tomorrow you think tomorrow is. Maybe tomorrow, 2,000 years from now. So we better go back and get them jobs. You remember the Bible says that they sold their houses and sold their land, and they sold everything, and they gave it to the apostles' feet. Well, they didn't have no need for houses and jobs no more. But then they realized, wait a minute, we need to get them houses back. We need to go back and get that money back because we're going to have to live a little bit longer on the earth. So here we are 2,000 years later. I still believe the Lord's return is near. I still believe he's going to come back. But the Bible says occupy until it comes. And so it's to our advantage to make the University City Church a house that is open for any and everyone who wants more of God. And so I believe with all my heart that in the next few weeks, you're going to be proud to know. And again, Tuesday, may, Tuesday night may not work for you. But for somebody who desires more, for somebody who says, you know what, uh, pastor's been teaching on the Holy Spirit, and, but Sunday is just not enough time, it's not adequate enough to go deeper, don't worry about it. Tuesday night, there'll be a separate class where you can go deeper and deeper and deeper in the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, whatever that subject matter is. Because one thing I've learned about you, you're hungry for God's Word. One thing I've learned about the people of UCC, you're hungry, you're thirsty for more of God's word. Let's go to 2 Chronicles this morning. 2 Chronicles, just for a few moments. Um, experiencing the early winds of revival. It's going to take some time to teach this class. This is not a one and done. Because right when I get tired of preaching this, it's right when a lot of you will say, I got it. I now understand. I now see the importance. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan said this about revival. Revival cannot be organized, but we can set ourselves to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. You cannot help but look at our nation's ills. There is an intrepidation. There's an anxiety. There is a nervousness. And be honest with you, it's almost now to a point where you can't not help but watch the news ticker. And I don't care if your preference is CNN or Fox News or somewhere in between. We are living in unprecedented days. And you cannot help but see, you know, the Bible says first the natural, then the spiritual. First the natural, then the spiritual. What we are seeing in the earth realm, I believe, is an indicative or is indicative 
of what God is doing in the spirit realm. The nervousness, the instability, the care, the concern, the anxiety, I believe is setting us up to depend more on the things of God and not on the things of man. So no matter where you're at on the scale of President Donald J. Trump, no matter where you're at on the scale of our new governor, no matter where you're at on the scale of our nation's issues, one thing's for sure, God has a way of sovereignly moving and pushing us more towards his cross. Towards his cross. Woe to the man who puts his trust and who goes down to Egypt and puts his trust in the chariots and the horses, Isaiah 31 and 1, because they're many, because they're great, but they don't look to the Holy One of Israel nor regard the Lord. If we're going to be honest in this conversation, you might as well go the full spectrum. Let's not spend our time and energy about what we don't like and what we can't see and who we can compare. Let's go the whole nine and say, hey, these are praying days. These are days that try men's souls, and we should be, it would behoove us all to be prepared to plan and to be ready. Uh, take your outlines, if you would, this morning. And I want you to fill in a couple of the blanks, all right? Take your outlines, if you would, this morning. And I'd like for you to fill in a couple of the blanks. And what I don't finish today, if the Lord say the same, we'll continue on on Thursday or perhaps even on uh, next Sunday. Uh, let me give you a working, and maybe it's a working and evolving definition of revival, all right? I want to talk to you about revival. When you think revival, most of us think about a series of nights that we had in the Baptist church, the, the, the Amy Zion church. Once a year, the revivalists came through, and we had consecutive services, and we had extra programming. And, you know, when we think revival, usually we're limited to that, to that, to that traditional mindset of thinking. But the revival of the Old Testament, the revival of the New Testament, the revival of the first patristic period or the period of our fathers, the revival of mid-century, you know, what they call the dark years, somewhere between 900 and 1300, 1400 B.C., A.D., you know, the, there, 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 was, there was nothing dark about those years. Truth is, God was moving in very powerful, powerful ways. And then what about the Azusa Street Revival? What about the Wesleyan Revival? What about all of the moves of God? And don't expect the world to promote them. Don't expect the world to highlight them in our Smithsonian's, in our museums. That's not going to happen. But one thing's for sure, God's been moving powerfully by his spirit in the church. I believe that we are all on the precipice. We are all in the very early, early, early beginnings of perhaps seeing God do a great awakening in our country that we've not seen in many years. Uh, fill in the blank, if you would. The word revival is an awakening, an awakening in a church of interest in or care for matters relating to personal spirituality. We define revival for this particular series as an awakening. Come on, say an awakening. An awakening in a church. It's a church of interest in, or I should say, and care for matters relating to personal spirituality. Why are you here on Sunday mornings? Again, whether in clergy or Jersey, why are you here on Sunday morning? Deep down inside, you want to grow spiritually. Your finances to provide for you stewardship-wise. Your job provides for your career uh, uh, upward mobility. Your school provides for academic uh, achievement. But why do you come to church? Why do you read your Bibles? Why do you get on bending knees and pray? There's a longing and there's a void inside of every man and every woman. In fact, St. Augustine said that inside every man and woman, there's a God-shaped void. And that void will never be filled by money. 
It will never be filled by career advancements, titles, positions, degrees, or any other type of friendship. Only God can fill that void. And I believe with all my heart, as we understand revival, we'll understand the need every once in a while to become alive again. To become alive again. In fact, let me give you a couple of thoughts about revival. Revival can be defined as restoration and renewal of life, consciousness, vigor, strength, and force. Hosea 6.2 reminds us, after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. There's no value for a dead Christian. There's no purpose for a cold believer. Every once in a while, we need to go through a time when there's a renewal of consciousness, a renewal of strength, vigor, and force. I like this next definition of revival. Write it down. To activate, to set in motion, to take up again, to renew. Someone say revival. Come on, someone say revival. Come on, say, Lord, revive me. To activate, to set in motion, to take up again. You know, I don't often quote this scripture, but I thought it was very important today. Uh, you don't have it on your notes, but Matthew eleven twelve. Matthew eleven twelve. If you write that down, Matthew chapter eleven verse twelve. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. There's a whole lot of ways you can skin that cat. There's a whole lot of ways you can interpret that scripture. I've chose to believe that since the days, and why John the Baptist? Because Jesus said himself, you see no greater man born unto woman than John the Baptist. What a compliment. You mean Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah? You mean all of those minor prophets of old, all of those major prophets of old? And Jesus looks to John the Baptist now, you do realize that John the Baptist is an Old Testament prophet. He's in the New Testament, but his life was lived in the Old Testament. Why do you say that? Because he came before Jesus. And he only really had one message. He didn't have a, 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 a set of, of CDs and, and, and iTunes, and he didn't have an, an encyclopedia, a bookshelf, all type of great sermons. He had one message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now one time did John the Baptist preach in the big house or the big city, or in the major preaching halls of, 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 of Israel. You find John the Baptist in the wilderness. You find him in the cut, preaching this gospel, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus said, hey, when you went out to visit John the Baptist, what did you see? Did you see a man clothed and fine clothing, polished, and had it all together? What did you see? What did you realize and experience when it came to John the Baptist? He said, I'll tell you what you saw. You saw a true man of God. You saw a prophet that's been no one parallel or greater since John the Baptist. And he says that since that day, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent. But maybe instead of us being the punching bag and allowing the enemy to run roughshod over our lives, maybe the, those who've been suffering violence now become violent. True revival, in my opinion, it is when we rise up to our rightful place and take this by the glory of God. You know the word revive, two words, re and vive, re to do and vive to live, to live again, to live again, to live again. You know, Billy Sunday, the prophet, excuse me, not the prophet, but the old revivalist Billy Sunday said this, a revival does two things. First, it returns the church from her backsliding. It returns the church from her backsliding. And second, it causes the conversion of men and women. 
And it always includes the conviction of sin on the part of the church. Man, it's not easy to talk about sin in the church. I don't care if it's the pastor, the usher, the greeter, the deacon, the church mother, the oldest member, the youngest member. It's never a comfortable conversation because feelings are high and emotions get really, really messed up. And I believe biblically the best thing that a church can do is to acknowledge, is to confess, is to say, Lord, we are church, we are people. We may be a hospital for the sick, but we have sick folk in the church and we all, come on, say all need healing. And that's not a popular thing. It's not a thing you want to put out there for the world to see, but it's the reality. But if, if it is a prerequirement or prerequisite for something God wants to do, I'll take it any day. Because revival does two things. It causes the church to come out of her backsliding days. And number two, it brings mass conversion of men and women. Uh, write these three words down. It's not on your notes, but if you're on the sidebar, if you're on the side column, if you write these three words down. Now, this takes me back to my, my North Carolina A&T State University. I got a call from a buddy of mine this past Friday night. He said, he said Mike, um, I'm sitting in the parking lot of 507 Balboa Street. Um, I'm going through some things, and so I decided to ride by the old church where we went to church together as college students. We began to talk on the phone. I began to encourage him, this, that, and the other. But it took me back to three words that we lived by. Number one, write down the word conviction, conviction. Number two, convincing, convincing. And then number three, conversion, conversion. In short, revival is conviction. It's convincing and it's conversion. You really can't have true revival without all three. You can have great conviction and you might even be convinced. But until there's a converting from darkness into light, from lost into found, from sickness into health, until there's a converting, you don't have revival. Now you can try humanitarily or humanistically or try to do it in your own strength, but if there's no inner core conviction, it won't last for long. Everybody okay so far? Uh, the book of Second Chronicles, and I'm almost finished. The book of Second Chronicles. I won't be able to give you everything today, but if the Lord say the same, this is why Bible study at noon on Thursdays, Thursday night, eventually soon on Tuesdays for those who desire Tuesdays, will become very important. What do we know about Second Chronicles? What do we know about the book of Second Chronicles? Number one, is written by the prophet Ezra, somewhere about 425, 430 before Christ, and the book is written to Israel. Uh, keep in mind, and in fact, if you look at the, at the layout of the Old Testament, You'll always see 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and 1 and 2 Chronicles. Here's what you need to know as it relates to each other. 1 and 2 Chronicles is really a parallel. It's really a parallel set of books, all right, to 1 and 2 Kings. 1 and 2 Kings really gives us the facts of what happened, whereas Chronicles is a commentary of the facts of what happened. So if you want to know the chronological facts of what took place history, you read 1 and 2 Kings. If you kind of want to know the behind-the-scenes stuff and the commentary of what happened, all right, you read 1 and 2 Chronicles. Now, 1 Chronicles always focuses on the life of David. You all know David the king. 
greatest king in all of Israel's time. First Chronicles focuses on the life of David, whereas Second Chronicles focuses on all the other kings, not necessarily of Israel, but of Judah, because at this point, Israel is divided. So you don't hear a lot about Israel in Second Chronicles, but you do hear a lot about the kings of Judah. In fact, let me take a step further, it talks a lot about the godly and the good kings, and it also talks about the bad or the not-so-good king. When you think about 2 Chronicles, it highlights the good kings, Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Uzziah. But at the same time, it highlights some of the negative, the bad, or the ungodly king, Ahaz, and Manasseh. I won't, get, won't be able to give you all of it in the next 15 minutes or so, but uh, here's what you need to know thus far. Chapter 1 deals with Solomon asking for wisdom. You all remember the story of Solomon asking for wisdom, don't you? You know, God, the Bible says Solomon prays, and then God asked Solomon a very big question. He says, Solomon, I hear you praying. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a wonderful question? Wouldn't you like to hear the Lord answer that in prayer? Y'all are kind of quiet on me. No, don't worry about the game. I already know who's going to win uh, and who's not going to win. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it, all right? It's not, I, I know who ain't going to win, all right? Carolina Panthers, that, that's what I know, so I'm not really concerned. But let's get back on target here. Now, let's get back on target here. All right. Even though, uh, stop, just leave it alone. Leave it alone. Shh, shh. Okay, now, what was that? Yeah, what was that? <laughs> Solomon, thank you, yeah. Now, Solomon prays. In chapter 1, God says, hey, hey, man, what do you want me to do for you? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing you hear in prayer from the Lord? Solomon now has an open treasure chest to ask for whatever he wants. You think that man would have asked for all this, all that, what have you? He said, God, I just want some wisdom. Give me wisdom because I have a huge responsibility and task to lead so great a people. And God, you know, I'm, again, nothing surprises God. But notice what God says in return. He says, because you did not ask for long life, for money and riches and, and all those great things. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you two for the price of one. I'm going to give you a deal you can't refuse. I'm going to give you the wisdom you asked for, but I'm also going to give you everything else you did not ask for. When your motives are right in prayer, when you are, when you are fearfully focused on what you believe God has called you to do, the Bible says this is the confidence that we have in him, that whatever we ask for according to his will, he will do it. It's the will of God that you find out the will of God. Because when you find out the will of God, you can go into prayer and say, God, here's what I need. Whatsoever things you ask, when you pray, believe God and you shall have them. Chapter 2 and 3, Solomon builds the temple. He builds the temple. And you re realize and when you go to Israel today, there are still some remnants of Solomon's temple. Back when you go, we don't call it the Wailing Wall, we call it the Western Wall. And what's so important about that wall? It is still remnants of Solomon's temple that still stands today. What a magnificent building it must have been. What a glorious facility it must have been. So chapter 1, he asks for wisdom. Chapter 2, he builds the temple. Chapter 4 through 6, Solomon furnishes and he dedicates the temple. Why is this important? And I think this is probably going to be my halfway point right here. Why is this important? Go to, chap go to chapter 5. I want to read a passage of scripture. And this passage of scripture has really been the epicenter of this, of this teaching as, as, I, as I prepared and prayed. I want you to look at something very important. Now, if you're in praise and worship, if you're in the music ministry, you already know this passage of scripture. But I want to I highlight this passage of scripture 
Because I want you to know what revival looks like when it gets here. So when it gets here, you won't be caught off surprise. All right? Second Chronicles chapter 5, look at verse 11. Now remember now, he's already asked for wisdom. He's built the temple. He's furnished the temple. He's dedicating the temple. But here's what God does in return. The Bible says, verse 11, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all of the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites, who were the singers, and all of Asaph, Heman, and Judathan. The Bible says, with their sons and with all the brethren, they stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, tambourines, all right, stringed instruments, harps, bass guitar, lead guitar, B3 organ, harmonica, whatever you want to make music with. And the Bible says, with them were 120 preachers, leaders, priests. Is that what your Bible says? And the Bible says, and they were as one. And they made one sound to be heard, praising and thanking the Lord. And when they had lifted up their voice, I, I was listening to the worship leader this morning as she was admonishing you and encouraging you. She wasn't demanding you. She wasn't hard on you, but she was admonishing and encouraging you to lift your voice, to make your voice heard. That is a biblical response of worship. It's not just cheerleading. It's not just hurrah, hurrah, pom-poms, and, 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 and noisemakers. We have a reason, a right, and we all have a responsibility to lift our voice unto the Lord. Let me go a little bit further. A little bit further. And the Bible says they lifted their voices with the trumpets, the cymbals, and the instruments of music. And they praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, and his mercy endureth forever, that the house, come on, say the house. Notice what the Bible says, that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Let me go back to the onset. Someone say with me, experience. Come on, everyone say experience. I'm almost finished. There's an experience that God wants you to have with him. You can't explain it. You can't articulate it. It's going to be really, really hard to duplicate it. You cannot rehearse for it. You can't manufacture it. You just have to be at the right place at the right time. And there are some things that you and I as a church have a responsibility to do for that experience. Now, let me, let, let me take it a step further. The experience, the glory cloud, the worship of God, it has to be more than marketing materials. It has to be more than just bragging or showcasing, child, look how deep we are. That's not the purpose of it all. Because when the presence of the Lord fills the house, there is healing, I mean real healing. I mean real healing. There's deliverance. I'm talking about folk who've been bound for years, but in one service, be literally, literally healed and delivered right then and there. Not for the world to make a mockery or to scorn. I mean unforgiveness, bitterness for 30 years, immediately in the presence of God, is eradicated. And when I say healing, there's a little bit more than headaches and and, 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 and sore thumbs. But I'm talking about cancer. 
I'm talking about dementia, Alzheimer's, nervousness, anxiety disorder. I'm talking about going back to the healthcare profession and them telling you, you've got a clean bill of health. We saw a miracle this past week. My phone was blowing up during the noonday Bible study. Could not get back to the calls, but it was an emergency surgery situation for one of the members. And to be honest with you, I didn't get the message after the Bible study. But I knew my wife had gotten the message and the saints began to pray. And it took hours and hours and hours to hear from this person. And finally, when he called back, he said, Pastor, you won't believe what happened. They went in to do one thing. But when they opened it up, they realized they wasn't nothing hardly there. They sold me back up and all is fine now. You can't tell me that God is a miracle working God. I'm not talking about in the ancient days of old. I'm not talking about in the days of the book of Acts. But in 2017, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. May God bring revival to his house. Jesus, the Bible reminds us in the days of Malachi, you'll know when revival comes. When fathers are restored to their children and children are restored to their fathers. You can call him John the Baptist, Jesus, and I choose to call him Elijah the prophet. And so, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7, when Solomon, verse 1, had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord for the second time filled the temple. And the priest cannot enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all of the children of Israel saw with their own eyes how fire had come down and had the glory of the Lord had filled the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement. Can you imagine that? Doctors and lawyers and business owners and PhDs and jurist doctors, they bowed their faces to the ground. Men and women of all ages and all backgrounds bowed their faces to the pavement. And they worshiped and they praised the Lord. You didn't need no cheerleaders. You didn't need a praise team. The glory of the Lord became the praise team. The power of God became the worship team. You didn't need no instruction. You needed no LCDs. You needed no word. But people fell prostrate and they began to praise the Lord saying, he is faithful. He is faithful. He is good. His mercy endures forever. Maybe that didn't ring your bell and maybe that didn't do nothing for you. But when you need to be forgiven of sin, when you need God's mercy like you've never needed it before, you've extended mercy, you've helped others out of mercy, you've ministered to others, but when you yourself need mercy and you need grace, Oh, it's so easy to minister to so many other people, the grace for their marriage and mercy for their wives and grace for their husband. But when you need mercy and grace for your own marriage, you lay hands on so many people in the hospital, the nursing home, an emergency center. But when you need a miracle for yourself, his mercy endureth forever and for the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Come on, praise team. I, I want to finish this message, but I believe it's striking the iron when the iron's hot. We need a revival, not when men are preached to their feet, but when men are preached on their knees. When people begin to cry out, I'm a sinful man. I've got an education, I've got money, and I've been around the world three times, but in my heart of hearts, I need revival. 
we criticize and complain and we think we know God inside and out, but sometimes we have to realize that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are deeper than our thoughts. Who knows the mind of God except by the Holy Spirit of God? And the Lord does nothing except he first revealed his secret to the prophets. And I know we're relationship driven and we want a whole bunch of friends around us. But sometimes God purges and proves to bring out the best of what he wants to do. There are married couples that God wants to heal. There are single men that God wants to strengthen. There are single women God wants to bless. There are all the saints that God says, you ain't going nowhere soon. You're not going to die. You're going to live like Hezekiah. I'm going to add another 15 years of your life. Somebody cry revival. Somebody cry revival. So when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifice sacrifice of our time we'll watch a four-hour super bowl but can't spend more than 45 minutes in church without squirming and getting all uncomfortable sacrifice of time sacrifice of our talents oh we can't pay everybody for everything but last i checked a man's gift makes room for him and brings him god knows how to bless and exalt and promote your gifts some of the greatest singers in the world got their start in the church because they were gifted and now make millions and tens of millions of dollars because they submitted their talents. Sacrifice of time, talents, and the treasure. I want you to stand to your feet. We'll pick this message up next Sunday morning. Keep your outlines. Just keep your outlines next week. We'll pick up. We'll be drop off. But there are four words that God gave to Solomon and his people. Number one, the word is humility. Number two, the word is pray. Number three, the word is seek. Number four, the word is turn. I wish I had time to read all these scriptures. We saw a movement of God where we, and I use the word weave, Turned from our wicked ways, our carnal days, our lukewarm moments, casual, callous, carefree seasons. God says, I hate these six wicked and evil ways. Proverbs 6 reminds us, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, even seven are abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are very swift to run to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Not oftentimes do you see the Bible say God hates, but these six things he can't stand. And the writer adds even a seventh thing as a number of completion. Maybe not be swift to run to lies, accusations, and gossips. Maybe, be, maybe not be a part of wicked. The word wicked comes from the word wicker. And wicker is when you interweave. You interweave truth and lies. You interweave facts and falsehood. 
And beware of the false witness who comes to sow discord among the brethren. God says before revival can come, there has to be a humility. No more proud, haughty looks. Pride will always go before destruction. And there will always be a haughty spirit that will come before a fall. But how many of you all know God has a way of removing the pride, removing the ego, and removing the haughtiness? I won't have time to finish this message, but I will leave you with three wheels. I said three wheels. We're training and teaching every elder, every minister, every missionary, anyone, man or woman who preaches the gospel. You always want to leave people with will. Will you do this? Will you do that? What challenge will we take from this service? My question to you today is this. Will you turn from wicked ways? Will you turn from the sins that have so kept you bound? You know, I didn't, I didn't want to continue on, but if I would have went on with, with Cain and Abel, if you notice, the Bible says that Cain, the Bible says his confidence fell and the spirit of murder entered his heart. And it wouldn't be long before Abel, excuse me, Cain, would have murdered his only brother. All because he was not willing to sacrifice an offering that was acceptable to the Lord. All because he was not willing to give God his best. I don't care if it's time, talent, or treasures. God deserves the first. God deserves the best. But when you compromise, even in the worship of God. I mean, I love the worship team. I love the, the band and all that. But it really shouldn't take all that for you to worship and honor the Lord. It really shouldn't. Because there's a proudness. You get to a point where you got a little money in the bank and people will pat you on your back and you, you, you've been around the country a couple of times and you can go home and look at all the nice plaques and certificates and degrees on your wall. And you kind of just sit back and say, hey, look, I got it going on. Ain't, I, I, ain't no me, me be all stretched and all uh, toe up when it comes to worship. But, you know, sometimes when God comes and pulls the rug from under your feet, we ain't always late to church no more. You ain't got the beggars to give a good offering. You don't worry about us volunteering because now we see priority and perspective. I wonder, would you be willing to turn? I wonder, would you be willing to commit yourselves to prayer? I'm not talking about saying grace over the meal three, four times a day. And we're not talking about saying a prayer when you are uh, split seconds from a car accident or you're up for the next promotion on your job. But I wonder would you commit to a daily time with God? In that 201 class, in the uh, Living in the Cities class, at the, the end of that membership class, there are three habits that we ask those class participants to take on. Number one, I will commit to spending time with the Lord every day in prayer. Number two, I will tithe weekly to the Lord. Number three, I'll be a part of a small group. These are habits that we want to see formed as we are spiritually maturing and growing in the Lord. I wonder would you commit to spending some time with the Lord in prayer, in devotion? Would you commit from severing some ties and cutting off the umbilical cord of some, some things of your past that have kept you bound and kept you hostage? Sometimes we don't realize, but there's a shame and there's a there, there, there's a shame and there's a scorn because of yesteryear's sins. And sometimes it's nothing but a proverbial chain and ball to our leg. We're trying to go forward. We want to move forward. But that old spirit of condemnation. And it doesn't mean that you don't have remorse. 
It doesn't mean you're not sorry. It doesn't mean that you just blew it over, swept it on the rug, kept it moving. That's not the purpose. The purpose is whom the son set free ought to be free indeed. Because we got to make some decisions here. Either his blood has power or it doesn't. Either his grace is sufficient or it's not. You got to make some decisions here. And I just want to remind every one of you, you are not to be held hostage to your past. Okay, it didn't work. Get over it. Okay, this didn't come to pass. It is what it is. Go on with life. Live forward. Trust the Lord. Well, you know, either you win or you lose. No, 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 no. Either you win or you learn. And I'm going to learn. And I want you to learn. My last will is, will you commit to being a house of sacrifice? Will you commit to being the house of sacrifice? God says, verse 13, I have chosen this place for myself, verse 12, as a house of sacrifice. I want to underscore one statement. I believe that this campus, 25 acres, 80 some odd thousand square feet, we have deals and proposals. Elder Smith is sitting on the stand on the front row. He's been helping out greatly in this area that we will not sign. We have people wanting to develop and build and do so. We are reluctant. We don't want to paint ourselves into a corner and regret it five years from now. Okay? The town of Huntersville, Mecklenburg County, and some other areas, we are saying that this is the house that God gave us. But we, in turn, want to give this house for all to experience. And I need you all to be comfortable when a little bit of every and anyone comes into this campus. Because as I told the new members yesterday, we don't discriminate against anyone. We want everybody to lovingly come to this church. I don't care if it's a worship service, a business meeting, a volleyball practice, uh, uh, an outdoor event, indoor event, Bible study. It doesn't matter. Come as you are. Is that right? Come as you are. But somewhere into the coming of this property, we believe that there's going to be a glory, a power of God, and a residence of his anointing. Men and women, it may not be church on Sunday, but I believe somebody's going to cry out, it's Tuesday afternoon, it's Monday morning, how can I get saved? I'm here, I'm a parent, I'm watching my child in an AAU basketball, but I'm convicted when I hear the preaching over the intercom. Is there anything I can do to get my life right with God? Is there anyone on staff who can counsel and minister to me? Are there any volunteers in the front foyer that can give me the word of God? I, you couldn't have preached this six months ago. We could not have envisioned this eight months ago. But my house will be chosen and sanctified as a place of sacrifice. And it starts today. If you're here today, it's not even an if, because you're here today, and you're not where you need to be with God, I want you to take full advantage of these next 30 seconds to get your heart right with the Lord. You cannot afford to go into that parking lot on the Highway 73, whether you go east or west. You cannot afford to hear what you just heard, turn a deaf ear, a blinded eye, 
and go on like life is normal. The Bible says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. You have to make that commitment. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and take a moment to focus.